is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Our opening hymn this morning is hymn number 590. rise and we continue on page 184 in the front of the hymnal. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. 
Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities, with which I have ever offended you, and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue with the intro in your worship insert. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end Amen Lord have mercy upon us Christ have mercy upon us upon us. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace, good will toward men. We praise Thee, we bless Thee, we worship Thee, we glorify Thee, we give thanks to Thee for Thy great glory. O Lord God, So 
that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. Thou that takest away the sin of the world, receive our prayer. Thou that sittest at the right hand of God the Father, have mercy upon us. For Thou only art holy, Thou only art the Lord. Thou only, O Christ, with the Holy Ghost, art most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. The Lord be with you. pray. Father in heaven, at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him your beloved Son and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling as your children and inheritors with him of everlasting life. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for this first Sunday after Epiphany from Isaiah, the 43rd chapter, beginning at the first verse. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Read responsibly the gradual. Praise the Lord, all nations. For great is his steadfast love toward us. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. The epistle reading is from Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning at the first verse. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over us. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This too is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the third chapter. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the scrap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Thee, O Christ. We confess our faith by words of the Apostles' Creed on page 192. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He entered into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated, and this time we'd like to invite the children to come. The text for today's sermon for the Sunday of the Baptism of our Lord is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is our text. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The title for today's sermon is, Living Under the Name of Christ. It was 1996 on Vicarage when I was serving up in Gillette, Wyoming at Trinity Lutheran Church. And working with the DCE there, we uh, felt that it would be a good idea to take the junior youth group down to watch Wyoming play at a home game. It was going to be a great day. The youth group piled into two 15-passenger vans, two youth leaders, or the vicar and the DCE, really, and another parent were going to go with us, and we loaded everybody up and we headed down. And we got to sit up in North Stadium. We had tickets kind of all together up there, and the game took off, and I was totally into this game. I was watching it, I was rooting and cheering. Wyoming was going to win, and it was about the third, end of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, where I looked over my shoulder, and here were about six or seven of the young gentlemen in the junior high youth group, hanging over the very top of the bleachers in that stadium. And I looked at some of the girls and I said, Hey, what are they doing up there? And the girl goes, Oh, Vicar, they're spitting on people coming out of the doors. I said, Gross! That is so disgusting! Oh, junior high kids! And I run up the stadium and I said, What are you guys doing? They said, Well, we're not trying to hit them. Uh, and they look at me with this like totally innocent faces, like this is completely acceptable behavior. I said, do you guys not know you're here with the youth group? And they said, yeah, so? Jeez, Vicar, you don't need to be so upset. And I was like, you're spitting on people. That's disgusting. And they said, no, it's not. And I was like, oh, and we gathered the kids up, my head ready to explode, having second thoughts about being in the ministry. Are these the people, are these the kids that we're going to have to deal with as pastors and, and this 
What had happened here? These were the kids that were in the confirmation class. We had just talked about baptism, and that wasn't the kind of baptism we had been thinking of. This was about living as children of God. All the way home, all the way back to Gillette, all I could think of was, how am I going to explain this to my supervising pastor? Am I going to fail vicarage that I let these kids spit on people as they came out of, of the doors of the gates at the stadium? Is the DCE going to say anything? What was her take on this? She had been working with these kids for several years. The pastor said, when we got back and we were visiting, and I told him what had happened, and he said, which kids were they? And I rattled off the names of the kids. He says, yeah. He says, those are a group of kids that probably should have been baptized twice. Because <laughs> that first one probably didn't take. He understood. And he taught me something that day as well. As a good, faithful vicarage supervisor. There is sin. And just because you're baptized doesn't exempt you from still sinning. And at the same time, it doesn't free you to live a life however you want to. It's a very difficult paradox that we're left in. As Paul addresses these Christians in Rome, they're, they're struggling. They're struggling really with two things. Who they are and whose they are. Who are these people? Who, who are these people in Rome who are Christians who are struggling under Nero? Who is, who is, there's persecutions going on. And they're being thrown literally to the lions in their own arenas for sport. Paul reminds them that they are baptized children of God. That's who you are. Water has been poured over you. You have been washed, redeemed, and renewed. But he doesn't stop there with who they are. He also reminds them whose they are. Because in the world of Rome in that first century, there's that understanding of slavery. And even through the Mediterranean, there's that understanding of slavery and who you belong to. Whose are you? And that not only does baptism mark you as who you are, it also marks you as whose you are. And for them, they belong to Jesus Christ. And very specifically, they belong to Jesus Christ who died on the cross. They are shackled not only to Christ, but they're shackled also to His actions and His deeds. That's our premise for our verses today. Who are you and whose you are? In the early 
20th century, postmodernism started to creep into our culture just a little bit. We can argue and debate where it came from, whether it was Darwin in the, eight, in the 19th century, or if it was in Nietzsche in the 1920s, when he starts to introduce that there is no truth or that God is dead. Deconstructionism, postmodernism, a postmodern culture that our philosophy is really based upon us and what I believe, very egocentric and self-centered and self-serving, becomes the main line on how we think, how we process, and how we live our life. So who are we? I am my own. Whose are we? I belong to myself. I don't belong to anybody else, and I'm not accountable to anybody else. And whatever truth is, I determine what that truth is. And unfortunately, that deconstructionism and that postmodern view in our culture has also slid into us here as Christians. We're not exempt from being influenced by that understanding of relative truth. That is, truth is whatever you want it to be. So as we wrestle through our verses, we see these, these verses here that's coming off of chapter 5 that indicates that as, as sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so then in the sense that, that regardless of how much you sin, God's forgiveness is even more. And Paul gives a preemptive strike as he starts out in chapter 6 because he knows the questions that they're asking. Well, in a tongue-in-cheek way, if I can't out-sin God's grace, then I should be free to do whatever I want because regardless of what I do, God's grace will not only cover it, it will more than cover my sinfulness. But you know that old Adam and that old sinful self, we like to have stopped there at the end of chapter 5. We don't want to read on into chapter 6. Because chapter 5 leaves us feeling very good and validates exactly who we are and validates all of our behaviors and says, you know what, if I'm forgiven, fill in the blank. I can do what I want. I am free. Literally. And that postmodern culture, that deconstructionism, slides into the church and says, you know, you don't need to speak about sin. You don't need to address the law in your sermons. You don't need to convict us. You don't need to address arrogance and pride. You don't need to address self-centeredness. Because really, that's the culture in which we live. And besides, if it's really about the gospel, and we're really about proclaiming the gospel and delivering the gospel, why would you want to even worry about sin? Just leave the people in the pews only with the gospel. Don't address their sins. Don't address their inappropriate behaviors. Don't address snide remarks or, or gossip. They're forgiven. Don't hold them accountable to the law. Because you just might make one of them feel bad. We certainly wouldn't want that. 
congregations that struggle and infight, congregations that, that, that hold one another in contempt, that don't see the person sitting ahead of them or behind them or next to them, that see a time of worship as only about themselves and not about as a group, and that whole understanding of congregation, the withness, the together, the sameness is completely lost. That it's all about the individual. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? How does this impact me? How does church, how does the church life, how does what the pastor says or what's done in the liturgy and the worship service impact me? And we forget about everybody else sitting around us. It's understandable. It's the culture in which we live all the time. The other six and a half days of the week, that's all we are confronted with. What's in it for me? The law confronts that. The law says it's not about you. The law says you have failed. The law says you deserve death and eternal damnation. That's the reality of God's holy and unblemished law. If we were to stop there, then that would also be inappropriate, and that would be bad news. I would leave us all leaving here today and just like, wow, <laughs> I'm lost. Now what? You see, Paul continues on in chapter 6. In the most beautiful way, he lays out who you are. Just as for those people who are struggling as Christians in Rome, so also today we deal with so many external influences in our culture, in our work environment, in our families, in our school systems. So many things that pressure us and tear at us. And in the midst of that, there is this consistent teaching in the gospel, an absolute truth. In a culture that denies an absolute truth, there is an absolute truth in Jesus Christ in the gospel. Who you are. In your baptism, you have been marked and redeemed. You are a forgiven individual. And Paul is exactly right in chapter 5. That regardless of your history, regardless of your past, regardless of your behavior, regardless of what you've done, God's mercy and grace and that which flows from it in the forgiveness of sins is more. That you have been washed clean. That you have been renewed. That you are no longer standing in contempt before your Father in Heaven. As a matter of fact, you stand in the light of the world and you stand at the foot of the cross. And Paul continues on so beautifully here in chapter 6. As a matter of fact, not only who you are as a washed and redeemed individual, it's whose you are. 
that you have been set free from sin, you've been set free from the condemnation of the law, and you are now shackled to Jesus Christ and shackled to the cross. The cross. Just as the kids here today identified exactly what took place on the cross, where Christ died, where the sins of the world were paid for, you are shackled to that. You are beneficiaries. You are heirs to the benefits, to the actions and deeds of Jesus Christ. So what does God do? He takes His holy people. He takes those who carry His name. He takes those who belong to Him and stands them and says, You are mine. I own you. You belong to me. That's whose you are. Your baptism, as Paul says, connects you to the cross. And not only does it connect you to the cross, that if you die with Jesus Christ, you will also live with Him. That just as He rose from the grave, so also you will rise from the grave. But the things of this world are temporal. And the things of Jesus Christ are eternal. So as we look at who we are, then we turn and see whose we are. We kind of tighten the wrench down just a little bit. We take it up one more notch. Not only are we Christians, but we belong to our Father in Heaven. Both of those describing you. And when the King comes again, and He returns in all of His glory, who does He see? He sees you. What does He see? He sees your baptism. What does He see through that baptism? He sees the actions and deeds of Jesus Christ. That the promises that, were, that are delivered are given through that cross and to you. And that you are connected to Christ. One of the great traditions within Lutheranism and even within Christianity that deals with baptism is that robe. Historically, what did we do with children when we brought them up to have them baptized? They had a baptismal gown that covered them and marked them, showing them that these are children who wear the robe of righteousness. What happens at a confirmation? Right there, we would wear that robe that reminds them of their baptism and shows them who they are and shows them how they're cloaked and covered in that righteousness. And then finally, at the funeral, what's placed over the casket, what words are spoken at a funeral, right before we come into the church, it's these words right here, out of Romans chapter 6. Reminding everybody who's sitting there that this person, this saint, this child of God, whose life has been bought and paid for, is baptized. That they wear the robe of righteousness. Today, you wear a robe of righteousness. You take that out into a world that wants nothing to do with Christ. Where truth is relative. And you confess an absolute truth that is not your own, but is Jesus Christ. That is external. That has been delivered to you. You confess who owns you and whose you are. 
by what you say and by what you do. It's non-stop. You can't help but do it. Living under the name of Christ, maybe it's living in the name of Christ. His name is placed upon you. His promises delivered to you. His comfort, His peace, that absolute truth is what you carry day in, day out in this world. Amen. And now the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. Guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue with the prayers of the church. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus, each according to their needs. Almighty Father, in you and through you comes salvation to all people. We implore you, Lord, that you be with those who are unable to attend church for various reasons. And we pray especially for our shut-ins, Esther Schlickenmeyer, Elizabeth Welp, June Jensen, Harry Eckberg, Robert Parasette, Lillian Peters, Bonnie Davison, Bonnie Canise, and Vi Wall. Grant to each of these people, your servants, the peace that surpasses all understanding in the strengthening of faith. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty Father, you alone are the one who grants healing and restoration. We implore you, Lord, that you continue to be with your servant Gary Adler, the father of Brent. Give to Gary strength. Give to him peace. Give to him comfort. Be with those who are at his side, tending to his needs, that your patience is upon them and your wisdom is forever around them. Lift all of them up during times of difficulty and struggles when there are uncertainties, giving to them the knowledge and the trust in three faith in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty Father, you are the one who watches over and protects us, and through your mighty hand, you give to us healing and strength. You place in our midst hospitals and doctors which provide care for us. We rejoice and give thanks with all people as we rejoice and give thanks for your hand that you have placed upon your servant Terry Frerichs after a small surgery, that that all was removed, and that she can now continue steadfast as your servant. Lift her up throughout the these days, continue to kindle her faith and strengthen her each and every day, that your hands and your works may be manifest through her, and that she continues to confess Jesus Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty Father, you are the one who places upon our hearts desires. We ask, Lord, that you be at those who will be traveling to Guatemala next week with most ministries. Strengthen them, lift them up, and sustain them. Give to them peace, give to them protection, that no harm comes their way. Be also with those who are the senders staying behind here in rain. Give to them hearts of prayer, lifting up those who are sent out, that your presence is forever in their midst, and that they know and that they know of your presence and that peace is always upon them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
Good and gracious Father, You are the one who watches over all people and in all times of adversity and trials and tribulations. We ask, Lord, that You be with Jordan Stober, who is serving in the, in the Air Force at this time. Send Your guardian angels to protect him and watch over him, that no harm comes his way. Be with his parents and his family, giving them comfort in knowing that You are always watching him and that You are always with him. Lord, in Your mercy, hear our prayer. We lay all of these prayers before You, plus those which are upon our heart through Your Son, Jesus Christ, as He taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with thy spirit. Bless we the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. be seated for our closing hymn. Have no fear, little flock, have no for the Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Have no fear, little flock. Have good cheer, little flock. Have good cheer, little flock. For the Father will keep you in His love forever. Have good cheer, little flock. Praise the Lord high above, praise the Lord high above, for He stoops down to heal you, uplift and restore you. Praise the Lord high above. Thankful hearts, praise to God, thankful hearts, praise to God, for He stays close beside you, in all things works with you. Thankful hearts, praise to God.